It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. We made this. Engage! T. Earl Grey, hot. There are times, sir, when men of good conscience cannot blindly follow orders. What we leave behind is not as important as how we live. I'm Captain Jean-Luc Picard of the Federation Starship Enterprise. Make it so. Hello and welcome back to Make It So, the We Made This Podcast Network's Star Trek Picard podcast. We are back this week. Kurt has taken the week off and I am back in the captain's chair. We are on season three, episode four today, No Win Scenario. And to joining me today to kind of talk about this and break this episode down is none other than Brandy Jackala. How are you? I am very well, thank you, Luke, and uh, w- welcome to having the con for this episode. Well done, you. Oh, I know. It's always it's always a pleasure having the con, uh, <laughs> and it's always a pleasure talking to, talking Trek with you, as we oh, have quite a few times on 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 different uh, Trek shows. Yes, we have, and I have enjoyed it every single time, and that's why oh. hopefully you keep inviting me back. <laughs> always, always. So. I haven't actually podcasted with you on Make It So before. Right. So just briefly, what's your what's your uh, historical relationship with Star Trek Picard? Like season one and two, what were your kind of feelings towards those two? Season one, I enjoyed. I didn't think it was the best Trek I've ever seen, but I enjoyed it. I did spend most of the season hating Agnes Girardi, and <laughs> then... There was some turning point. I don't know. I think it was when she started throwing up the cake that I suddenly understood her and I was completely on board with her in after that, which is why season two was so disappointing because they fridged her. They basically fridged Agnes. Yeah. And I, and I actually, um, you know, I know a lot of people enjoyed season two. I didn't. I didn't. There were things in it. There were aspects of it that I did enjoy, but it was, it was a story that could have been told in three episodes, and they stretched mm. it out and dragged it out into ten. Uh, 
Now, again, only my opinion. I know plenty of people enjoyed that season, and I am happy that they did. I never want to yuck anyone's yum. This is just my personal opinion. And then when they said they were going to bring back next generation people, I'm like, no, do we really need to do that? Do we? You've already taken Rios from me. You've taken Agnes from me. Who else are you get? Oh, you're taking Elnor from me, too. Okay, yeah, okay. Sure, fine. Whatever. And so I was just not exactly looking forward to it. And then they dropped that teaser trailer and I got emotional. Mm. It made me emotional. And I thought, okay, okay, okay. You've won me over for now. But then, uh, and uh, as people may know, I do get the screeners. And when they, like three weeks in advance, sent us six... Six. Mm. So I've seen through episode six and I thought, okay, let's give this a go. And, you know, 10 minutes into episode one, I'm like, yep, yep, yep. You got me. You've got me. I am invested. I am here for it. I am ready. Let's do this. And, uh, no spoilers. I have supremely enjoyed this over any previous season of Picard. This, this has been stellar. Uh, yeah, my feelings are pretty much the same as yours for season three. Um, I was I was very nervous about what mm. how are they going to do this. The mm-hmm. the teaser trailer was fantastic. Like you, I've got I've you know we've had access to the screeners as well, and this is by far my favourite season of Picard. And the episode we're going to talk about today, no in scenario, I'm going to put it out there now. Maybe one of my favourite episodes of modern era Trek there has been. I think this episode is brilliant. It is for more than one reason. There Mm. are so many little puzzle pieces in this episode that just make me go, this is what I always wanted from the show. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's just a shame it's taken three years, well, three seasons for them to get to 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 make Picard work. Star Trek Picard as a show work um and i know a lot i do know there is uh, there, there is a discourse of people not liking this because it's you know it's playing towards nostalgia it's not moving on or moving forward but i think you know i, I think with the themes that they're playing with in this season i think it it really works and i think it works in terms of picard's legacy as a man and as a captain uh, and I think having this last hurrah with with all of his former crewmates is is a great way of saying goodbye. Actually, I agree, but I don't. I never even thought about this as not moving forward because mm. there has been a lot of progress over well over season one, not so much in season two, but <laughs> there has been a lot of progress for Picard since this series started, and so I didn't feel like. It was going backwards. I felt like, okay, you know, everybody has this group of people that they really formed a bond with in their life. And then life happens and you go your separate ways. And sometimes you can come back together and, and be nostalgic, but that is not what this is. This is not about nostalgia to me. This is about, I mean, yeah, it's one last adventure, but this is about these characters dealing with the fact that they are coming closer, a lot closer to the ends of their lives. Mm. And how do they deal with that? 
So especially Riker. Riker's arc in this episode fascinates me. Yeah. I I love it. I love because I knew that something was going on and I was just waiting to see what exactly it was. And we get to find out in this episode. So it, it just to me, it doesn't feel like going backwards. This is moving forward. Mm-hmm. These characters, yes, they're reminiscing, but they also know each other so well that they can start to address these things that have been going on in their heads. And they may not have necessarily done that in next gen in that particular time frame. So for me, I just feel like this is, well, especially with Beverly. I mean, she's, she is definitely not looking backwards. Badass <laughs> Beverly, I am yeah. here for you, girl. Here for you. So to me, it just didn't, it doesn't feel like nostalgia. It feels like real life. The mm. people that you were so close with and now you've gone your separate ways and now you have to come back together because these are the people you can trust. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we can kind of go deeper into the episode and that segue off of what you just said by talking about the five year flashback that kind of bookends the episode, which mm-hmm. essentially encapsulates what you just said about trusting the people around you, trusting your crew remaining steadfast together and trusting each other's um, instincts and ideas. And, you know, Picard's there trying to have his salmon um, (laughs) being interrupted by these very excited cadets or young officers. And I like the way he kind of said, you know, I'm, 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 I'm not very good at stories and then just kind of turns around and and starts regaling these, these old adventures to these um, prospective students. What do you think to using using this kind of five-year flashback as the bookends for this episode and kind of talking about uh, trusting each other as a crew and, and that kind of... I mean, that's pretty much Picard and Riker's story arc in this episode, isn't it? It is. And I <laughs> I think it was Haddock. I thought he was eating Haddock, but maybe I was wrong. Was it Haddock? It was fish. <laughs> it, was, it was fish. I, I can't eat fish. Fish oil makes me... <laughs> I'm allergic to fish oil, so nope. No big loss, actually. I never liked the taste of fish anyway. Shellfish is the worst. Keep me fro- away from shellfish. That will kill me. So um, I I don't always love a flashback, but mm. this one went a direction that I didn't expect, you know, with him saying, I'm not very good at telling stories. And I'm like, B-S-J-L, you absolutely <laughs> are great at telling stories. You, you old crony, come on. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought, well, he's going to end up telling this story. And and I'm glad that he did, because it isn't just about the story, as we find out towards the end of the flashback. Mm. But uh, but I thought, oh, this is cute. You know, of course, you know, there's going to be this hero worship is Jean-Luc Picard. Yeah. So they a bunch of cadets see him in or a bunch of ensigns or whatever they are at that point. They see him in a in a place and uh, he's just like oh man i should have brought security <laughs> just like have a bouncer at the table saying no 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 yeah. questions please yeah. he, he, he's eating his fish leave him be yeah and and see that's the thing if if that were somebody like if i were at starfleet and i was i would go into the los angeles base 10 ford which is what i think it is and mm. uh, said and saw Jean-Luc Picard, I would be like, oh, 
I'm going to let him eat his food. Because I know how I would feel if someone interrupted me while I was eating. And he's very gracious, Mm. even though you could just see in his eyes, just leave me the hell alone. (laughs) (laughs) I just want to eat my fish. So... But uh, yeah, of course, he has to he has to start telling stories about episodes we've seen in Next Generation, which I did not mind. I did not mind because, you know, that that is that is fan service. Let's be honest, that's fan service. Yeah. But it's good fan service because we didn't have to listen to the whole story. And we also hear Picard talking about it, like about the Temerians, about uh, what was his name? Dathan? Is that it? I can't remember. Gosh, I hate when that happens. When I can't remember a name, and uh, he he tells this aftermath. You know, if, if we hadn't if we hadn't worked together, if we had just given up, you know, we'd probably both be dead. All these things, and and, and you you think about that during the episode, but not really after the episode. It's like, oh no, that's a great episode, and oh, it's sad that this guy had to die. But you don't think about the fact that they could have both very easily died, mm. and yeah, be- because of partnership because of you know finding a way to have common ground they succeeded well one of them did (laughs) so i i appreciated that we heard his take on the story about how he felt afterwards because we don't really Mm. get that information from the episode and then we find ourselves in a present where in the aftermath of uh Picard's actions. He's been sent off the bridge by Riker. That was that was pretty, that was pretty uh, uh, a hard hitting scene in, in in the pre in the previous episode. Mm. And um, I, I like seeing Riker as acting captain. I, I like him captaining the ship, um, working through the problems with what very little he's got to work with at the minute because power is draining. Um, and then. Riker and Picard have this conversation and Riker kind of opens up to him about how he's feeling and the the story of his son. What were your thoughts on on this scene? I I appreciated finally knowing what was what the bug up his butt was. Mm. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and just the way he was talking about, you know, I've we've been all over the place and I've never seen anything that convinced me that there is anything after this Mm. and okay i'm not a religious person i was raised uh, in the mormon church but i am not a religious person Um, i have no real belief in what comes after this what i do believe is science and science states that matter and energy are the same basic thing Energy cannot be created or destroyed. It can only change forms. Are we not beings of energy? Mm. So what is death but a transformation to a new existence? Just saying. That's what I like to think about. So it was interesting yeah. having Riker bear his soul like that. Yeah, definitely. And that, and that's a, that's a really good connection to what happens at the end and what's happening with the nebula. This, you know, this kind of bioelectrical wave that's coming, which is signifying the birth of of new life and that that kind of life and death cycle that that Reich is kind of going through with with the grief of his son and how that's connected to 
the kind of darkness that he's in now, you know, yeah. that darkness of, of, of the of the coffin lowering in and, and how he kind of looks out the window and goes, you know, I'm back here again in the darkness. Um, I, th- I think that's a really, really clever writing here with with linking thematic material between all the all the different people's yeah. situations going on in the ship. Um, and this is a great scene to do that. And it's really good to see Jonathan Frakes kind of getting to show that, you know, one, he's a great actor and, and showing a, an emotional side to Riker that we don't, we rarely, rarely see this side of Riker. And it, it was a really good opportunity to, to see that. I agree completely. Um, I love Jonathan Frakes. I've always loved Jonathan Frakes. <laughs> Haven't always loved Riker because Riker in TNG was a playboy a lot of the time. And, and, and yeah. that's, that's fine, but I just got sick of the lady of the week sometimes. <laughs> so I was just like, oh, here we go again. <laughs> but, uh, and, and that's, you know, I'm not, I'm not, sh- I'm not slut shaming Riker, okay? <laughs> 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 you know, because part of Roddenberry's vision that people forget is he wanted everybody to just have free sex all the time, whenever yep. they wanted. No strings, you know, just free love. No matter how you wanted it, just, you know, just don't hurt anybody, but get it on. <laughs> So, so I remember I, I remind myself of that when I when I just cringe at Riker hitting on a woman. But but, uh, you know, that's just that's just me. That's just me. Um, I I appreciate. His journey, I appreciate. His continued grief at having lost his son, because the thing about grief the thing about losing someone especially a family member especially a child i mean granted he was a teenager but still um you don't get over that mm. you learn how to live with it that you learn how to accept it that's how that's how grief is people are like oh well you know it's been enough time you can stop grieving no you never stop grieving you never stop it gets easier but it never stops Mm. and i think that he is a good example of that and that's okay that's just the way it is and people should never shame anyone who is still grieving the loss of a loved one because that will continue for the rest of their lives yeah yeah and also that's it's also made Riker as a captain more risk averse as well Mm -hmm. because he's very very resistant later on to Picard and Jack's idea of jump starting the ship with the you know with the bio wave and stuff like that, which we can get to. But it's he's definitely he's definitely much uh, you know he's hesitant to take risks to risk the crew, you know, and and I think the grief has a lot to do with that. I agree, and this is the thing is he had no control over his son's disease, no control mm. over. Um, you know, there was no way to treat him because they'd outlawed synthetic life and, you know, this particular cure could only be uh, synthesized in a positronic net, if I remember correctly, from season one. Yeah, I think so. And so he he's – when he's a captain right now, he's in daddy mode. He's like, nope, nope. Mm. I have control over this. No one's going to die on my watch. Yeah. No one else. No one else. I'm not letting this happen again. And that, again, it does make him risk averse. And sometimes 
playing it safe is not how you do things. However, when the ship that you are fighting has a portal weapon, yeah, maybe don't fire torpedoes at it. <laughs> yeah. Just That's not to. Just a thought, because the minute he said to fire everything, I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. I played Portal. I know how this works. No. <laughs> um, so then, uh, as, as as that's happening, we've also got Seven of Nine, who is not officially reinstated, but Riker's keeping it that way, so she can uh, kind of bait out this changeling. How good is it that we've got changelings on the, I... on this show? Yes, it, I just couldn't figure out what angle are they doing with this? And the fact that these changelings are so different. Mm. These are not the changelings we saw in Deep Space Nine. These, this is a whole different level. And they are even more terrifying than yeah. their originators. So yeah, when, because I started to kind of feel that way. Like when, when in episode one, when Riker and Picard first come on board the Titan, which, um, is it just me or does the saucer section of a Titan also look like the blade of a Lyrpa? Maybe it's just me. Yeah. But <laughs> not that I'm complaining. They're giving me so much ship porn this season and I'm so oh, happy. Oh, I know. I'm so happy. <laughs> so, uh, but when they come on board and they pass this one guy, and he just kind of side eyes them, and I'm like, "Oh, he's a person to watch. <laughs> he's a person to watch." And sure enough, he was. Or, you know, do do changelings actually have gender? I don't even know anymore, because they can appear as anyone. Yeah. And only by sight. But these these guys are kind of next level because how else could they have passed a bioscan? Hmm. Hmm. Mm. Strokey beard. Hmm. Hmm. But um, yeah, I. Uh, I love that there are changelings and it's terrifying to know that there's one on board and they could literally be anyone. And I love Seven getting to do what she does best, which is working outside the lines. Yeah, exactly. She gets to kind of put her Fenris Rangers skills to to the fore. And um, what I do like about her kind of her plan is to is to go and see Shaw. As much as it pains her, as much as she doesn't want to be around him, because those two not get on at all. But he is the best person to know the crew. You know, he knows his crew. He he, he knows the ins and outs. So what do you think to to her idea to go and see Shaw? And also your thoughts on Todd Shaswick's performance as uh, as Captain Shaw as well, because he's he's slowly turned into one of my uh, one of my favorite characters, actually. Okay, well, let me preface this by saying this. When I watched episode one, when I watched, watched, I'm starting to say, like, wharf, like when he says weapons. Yeah. <laughs> I, when I watched episode one, uh, Shaw made me so angry, the same way that Jellico made me angry, the same way that Kai yes. Wynn made me angry. And by the second episode... Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older. Or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. 
A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. And, and the, the interesting thing is I had only seen one episode of my friend Bruce Gibson. Uh, he had seen all six. He like got up early and he binged the whole <laughs> six episodes before work, y'all. <laughs> Six hours, pretty much six hours. Six hours, six hours, and uh, and I I was complaining about Sean. He said, "Actually, I rather enjoy him." I'm like, "What?" And then episode two happened, and then episode three happened, and I'm like, "I understand what Bruce meant because Todd Stashwick is a freaking genius. Yeah, he is so good." at this character and i know he's been in star trek before but i also know he's played villains before like that's i think that's how he knows terry metallis is from 12 monkeys television series yeah television series where he plays a baddie but the thing is is that no one is a hundred percent bad mm. just like no one is a hundred percent good well except for psychopaths and sociopaths those people are pretty much a hundred percent bad um because they have absolutely no empathy whatsoever for any kind of life but um, uh, Shaw, yeah, I learned, I'm like, okay, I understand what this guy is about. And I knew because of the way he talked about Borg, I thought, well, he's, he's, he went through Wolf 359. He was there. I know that. And just kind of his reactions, you know, things that he said to Picard. And so I put all of that together before this episode. Um, now, See, the the interesting thing is, is a lot of people, you know, of, of course, we're recording this much earlier than <laughs> when this episode actually will air for everyone else. <laughs> and so at, at this point, at the time of this recording, episode one is the only episode that has been released to the public. And the knee-jerk reaction to Shaw has been like me watching uh, just, you know... It's, it's like that GIF of, um, and yes, I say GIF because G in GIF stands for graphic, not graphic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I will die yeah. on that hill. It's, it's like that, that meme for, that somebody took from, of Jessica Fletcher from Murder, She Wrote, yeah, Angela Ansbury, God rest her soul. What a brilliant, brilliant woman. Just yeah. shoving popcorn into her mouth. That was me <laughs> watching social media and watching people lose their stuff. Yeah, the Twitter, the Twitter reaction to Shaw was brilliant. <laughs> brilliant. And I'm like, oh, oh, Todd, you have done your job too well, my friend. You have yeah. done your job too well. <laughs> And, uh, and yeah, so, so he is, he is complex. He has got issues and, uh, there are things that will happen later in the series that shine a light on that as well. However, um, him in this episode, he was mesmerizing mm. and he, he gets to do a lot of different things like this, this interaction with seven. And when he starts talking about the changelings and he's just, he knows a lot about changelings. He knows so much about changelings. And I'm like, this guy is not an idiot. He's, he's mm. actually very smart and he has a lot of knowledge and he has a lot of experience. It's not that he's a bad captain. He's just an a-hole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I think uh, I think seven of nine calls him a dick. I think at one point, which I think is a good. It's a good description. Yeah, if you weren't a massive dick. Yeah. And I think also dipshit from Chicago that comes up at some point as well. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, he, he's, he's a prickly fella. He he he's got he's got layers like an onion. <laughs> so I love that interaction where he's he's just being when he's just being factual when he's not bringing his ego or or his insecurities into anything and he's just being a Starfleet captain being a Starfleet mm. officer. He's brilliant. He's interesting. Yeah. He's he's even likable. And, you know, when he starts saying all this nice stuff to Seven and Nine, I'm like, oh, well, this is a ruse. <laughs> and, and she's she's got this kind of look on her face like, uh-huh, yeah, mm-hmm. uh-huh, sure, uh, yeah. And it says all these things. And he says, it's what I would say to you if I were a changeling. Fantastic scene. Fantastic. <laughs> so great. <laughs> so I love that. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about the thing in the hologra- uh, holodeck. Oh, and, yes. you know, yeah. here's one thing I have really loved about this season is these questions that have come up in my mind, like, why does Jack have a British accent? <laughs> um, why is the holodeck still running when they have no power anywhere else? You know, all these things that just never made sense in the series. And they just kind of wave their hands. Don't look at this. They're explaining. <laughs> I'm just like, well done. <laughs> Yeah. Well done, because every single thing that I thought, well, why, 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 if he's there's, if he's, no, why does he have a British accent? I even said that after the first episode, I said to my husband, why the hell does he have a British accent thing? Because I pegged him as Picard's son immediately, and and I'm just like they're they're gonna they they're gonna have an explanation for that, and sure enough, here we go. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's like oh, we went to school in England and it never shook the accent. <laughs> so, but yeah, um, to to wrap it up, Todd Stashwick, I adore you, sir. I follow you on Twitter now. You are a brilliant human being, and I will keep my eye out for you all the time. Now, I would watch anything he's in. He is fantastic, and uh, Shaw is entertaining. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's a, he's a great presence in in every scene that he's in. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like his interactions with Seven of Nine. Um, I, I love the pot reference. It's like you know, you hear the pot, and, <laughs> and she goes marijuana, and he goes, unfortunately, no. But <laughs> which is a which is a so so marijuana still exists in the in, in the twenty fifth century. So well, yeah, there's it's a, a thing. plant. I mean, it's a plant. Yeah, exactly. So I'm glad that's not one of the. Uh species of plant or animal that got destroyed in world war three thanks because <laughs> god knows we needed cannabis after that yeah well exactly <laughs> so before we we'll do the big talk about picard and jack in the 10 forwards uh holographic uh 10 forward in a minute i just want to do the one scene on the shrike with vanik Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm, this mm-hmm, this was mm-hmm. this this was a scene of questions. Mm-hmm. I had many many questions here. Same. Like, she's cutting a hand off. Is she some form of changeling? But the hand then morphs into some kind of weird communication system with an unknown entity or being who is obviously either her payer or her boss. We don't know what was what was going on in your head with this scene. Well, first of all, I'm like. Okay, she's obviously a changeling because she wouldn't just be, mm. you know, cutting off her hand for kicks and giggles. 
So, <laughs> so I thought, well, she's got to be a changeling, which I kind of suspected before. Mm. But, uh, and she's also completely unhinged. <laughs> but, very. But that's the thing about unhinged people is they can be very devout in their goals and not be deterred by the things that would deter people with common sense. So, um, yeah, but the whole communicating with another changeling and we find out, oh, she's not the top dog. Mm. Oh, that is very interesting. She is following orders and even trying to not follow orders by pursuing the Titan into that gravity well. And basically is told, uh, excuse me, are you refusing me? You will do this or <laughs> you will regret it. And then, and then the, the goo just turns back into her hand. Mm. And so I'm just like, uh, 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 what? <laughs> That's basically me during that entire scene going, hi, hi, um, this will get explained later. This will get explained later. Yeah. This will get explained later, right? Right? Terry, you wouldn't do this to us. You're going to explain this. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, there's a the question, why are they so, so obsessed of getting Jack? What's the importance of Jack? Why is he called the asset? Yeah. The big bad calls him the asset. Mm. What is that about? What is that about? I Questions, I, questions. I do not know. It is, there are still, even after seeing episode six, there are still so many questions. Yeah. Yeah, just to let you know, guys, that, that, that we, we, we don't know yet because we're not, we're not, we're not going to be on episode six. But I mean, what happens at the right at the end of this episode where he gets weird visions and voices going on, mm-hmm. that just that, that, that just poses even more questions about who Jack is or what Jack is even. Yeah, I'm so I'm, I'm just like, oh, please, please don't be a changeling. I can't handle that. I can't do no. that. No, I, I, I can't handle that, particularly when we get. Some really good scenes now in Ten Forward between Picard and Jack. Mm. And, you know, how do you start a conversation with your father or your son who you've only met, you know, when he's 23 years old? And uh, I like the way they... I like that the way into the conversation is just to share stories of, of, uh, of you know, shenanigans that they've they've both got up to and and that's how jack kind of starts it off and they drink whiskey because he's not into wine which is a which, which i i did laugh because he was so you know picard was so excited about sharing a bottle of his own wine from his own vineyard he's like I, I, i'm not a wine man cheap whiskey on the rocks yeah cheaper the better yeah so what are your thoughts then on on how this how these scenes and conversations progress between these two i uh you know, because Riker basically tells Picard, you know, if I were you, we're in our we're in the end game here. We're we're probably not going to make it out of this. And if I were you, I would spend your time getting to know your son before you no longer can. So yeah, that was um, who grave, and the fact that uh, Jack didn't. I mean, he he's not terribly excited to be doing this but he's also not being a little bitch about it <laughs> so he's been but, quite gracious actually isn't he yeah he is he is he's he's trying he's trying 
But I do find it interesting the first time that he says, you know, you you don't have to do this. It, you, this isn't, you think this is a moment that I need. And I immediately thought, oh, hell no, honey. He needs this moment. Not you, mm. Jack. He needs this moment. He's the one who did not know a damn thing about you until like a day ago. So <laughs> this is not for you, buddy. This is for him. We know you're completely self-sufficient, Jack. We've already seen it. But your dad has a lifetime that he didn't get to spend with you. And now he just wants to make a connection. And the fact that Jack didn't know that, I'm like, yeah, oh, oh the ignorance of youth. Isn't that cute? <laughs> Isn't that cute? I do but... like that his, his very first question Mm-hmm. It's about the hair. When am I yeah. going to lose my hair? My yeah. nice, my nice stack of hair. Yeah, the hair. <laughs> when did it go? <laughs> yeah. So, how old are you? Twenty three. Twenty twenty four. Eh. Enjoy it while you can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's a slight. There's a slight. Like he he enjoys saying that to to, to Jack. I think there's a, there's a little kind of sadistic humour. They enjoy your hair while you can, mate, because it's mm-hmm. not going to last long. Yeah, and that's it's funny that it's still one of those things that they can't fix in the future. Yeah. I mean, really? <laughs> really? We can't we, we don't have a you can you can actually stimulate hair growth follicles and, and change people's hair like in in seconds or minutes, but you you can't you can't you can't fix a bald guy? Okay. You can generate food out of thin air. You can generate Earl Grey hot out of thin air, but you can't generate hair. You can't make hair grow? Really? (laughs) You haven't figured out hair transplants yet? Okay. Okay. (laughs) It's one of those things. I'm just like, hmm. So, uh, yeah, It's, it's, it's an interesting interaction because you can see that Picard is really trying. You can see that Jack is really trying. And at the same time, they're strangers. Mm. You know, of course, Jack has all the stories, but he doesn't know the man. Stories are not the man. And Picard didn't know he existed before now. So he he knows nothing except for, you know, this is his son and it's Beverly's son. And so her influence on him has a part to play but it's still it's I, it's one of those things where it's just it's awkward but they are trying mm. and they're trying to have a conversation and trying to find common ground yeah and i like the way that that kind of middle flashback about him talking about jack crusher senior mm. um and that story about them stranded on the shuttle and and how their navigation was knocked out and they had to kind of use thrusters and and basically eyeballing to 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 get out of the situation and i like the way that that then goes to him telling jack crusher junior um the story about that and then how that kind of really informs the escape scene later on so mm-hmm. again great bit of writing there great bit of seeds that you know the seeds are planted for what's going to happen later and it's really it's really satisfying to have good writing on Star Trek Picard because one seasons one and two had some pretty damn weak writing some really bad writing um and what I've noticed this season in particular is Terry Metalis has put his stamp on this story and he's certainly put his stamp on the writing as well 
I agree. And I'm still sad that other characters had to be sacrificed for that. Um, I loved Rios. <laughs> Rios was my I'd, favorite, y'all. I, I, I get angry about season two for many reasons. Mm-hmm. Losing Rios is one of them. Yeah, well, and and I I also really just hated Agnes's whole story in season two. It just, I mean, because I identify with her a lot because I am extremely awkward and often feel isolated because my brain is not normal <laughs> and <laughs> various and sundry other things. And it is hard for me to make friends because I, you know, if I'm my true self, they usually run screaming. But <laughs> <laughs> so there were there were a lot of things that I that I was just really commiserating with Agnes with, and then to do mm. what they did. <sighs> <sighs> anyway, so yeah, uh, but yeah, uh, I have um, I have no problems with the writing for this season. In <laughs> fact, it's every episode that I've watched so far. I have, and I mean this literally, not, I don't mean it figuratively, because I use literally correctly. I was literally on the edge of my sofa leaning forward during every single episode. Everyone. I have never done that before in this series. So, wow. Yep. Yep. Definitely says something, doesn't it? It does. It does indeed. And I love the to and fro in between uh, Picard and Jack when when he's kind of telling the story of of him and his namesake, and Picard says borrowed, and Jack says stole, and <laughs> and you know, and Jack goes, "You mean you got laid?" I said, "No, we had an invitation." So I like that little to you know, the to and fro in between them, and then Shaw walks in, and we get possibly my favourite scene in the episode. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm. Oh, Let's talk okay. about this. Oh my god. Because, oh man, Shashwick is phenomenal in this scene. He is. He is. Um, he's. Uh, he was badly injured in that last episode, and so mm. he's still healing and, uh, and walking around with a cane and a brace on his leg, and he has an axe to grind, and he's going to grind it in public. The fact that he does this in front of crew members... Yeah. As well. And, uh, yeah, he basically tells the story of what his experience was at Wolf 359. And I think Jack is pretty clear on what happened because he didn't seem surprised by anything that Shaw said. But the way he tells the story, the details that he gives, the way it's written, you can visualize it. Mm. You can visualize it. And, it's it's just brilliant and the the more he talks about it and he's having trouble basically not crying his voice is breaking here and there and this this is him with this is he's still got survivor's guilt he's got survivor's yeah. guilt and you know the fact that it was just some lieutenant who pointed to him and made him get on an escape pod or an escape shuttle um so he's he's got he's got imposter syndrome is what Shaw mm. has. Shaw has imposter syndrome and he just he may not necessarily get that yet. Maybe he will eventually. And uh and of course he has to say and and uh where was your dad during that? Oh yeah. He was the one who was directing the attacks. A Borg so 
what is, what was the word that he used? I can't remember uh, now. Like, like like a Borg so important that they mm, had to, give, to him give him a name. name. Locutus of Borg. Mm. And it's, it's gotten to the point where Jack says, that's enough. And, uh, and Picard handles it in a way that Shaw does not want. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> he's yeah. trying to make him angry. He's trying to hurt him. And Picard just raises his head and he smiles and he says, no, that's all right. And he, he gets up and, and he just calmly, you know, starts to walk out and he says, yeah, it's, I understand. Mm. And, and he's, he's got like a smile on his face. He's, he's already dealt with all of this stuff. And of course, Shaw is not in any way thinking about what it was like for Picard, because why would he? This story was about him. It's, it's always about him. With Shaw, everything's about him. Yeah. Except when he's actually doing his job. It's, <laughs> <laughs> so, and uh, Picard just calmly walks out. And uh, Jack is is leaving. And there are the other crew members who are still in there. And Shaw's just like, this didn't go the way I expected it to. Um, Oh, boy. Everyone's looking at me. And he just says, uh, forgive me. At some point, asshole was a substitution for charm. Yeah, <laughs> I think became he, a yeah, substitution. It, substitute. It's it's a it's such a it's such a multi layered performance, and and like you said, you know that survivor's guilt, that rage and grief, and all those boiling emotions that are coming out, and the way he spits out those lines. It's a it's just a phenomenal performance. Um, but also, I really like. Patrick Stewart's performance he's just mm. sat there head kind of bowed just letting him rant he's not mm -hmm. even, he's just letting him rant and I, I really like that quiet performance that he does there and just you know he you can see the pain in his face as well um but he's just he's just letting him let off steam he's letting mm. him steamroll over him um I, I also think Ed, Ed Spieler's Jack uh yeah. he's great in the scene just kind of his eyeball acting fantastic mm -hmm. just kind of looking from left to right looking at Picard to see whether he's going to rise to the to the to the ranting, which he doesn't. It's just a wonderfully directed, wonderfully edited and performed scene that gives Shaw just such depth and such pain, mm. and it's it really makes for such a. It's one of the best scenes from Picard, and like ever, I think so far. Anyway, yes, absolutely. This. And and I remembered this scene, of course, from the first time I watched it and watching it again. It was just me clutching my chest and going, oh, baby, just let it out. Just let it out. You got to deal <laughs> with it, man. You got to deal with it. <laughs> and, and and just wanting so much to make Picard as angry as he was. And it didn't work. And so, and I think he, that may have taught him something. He may not understand it yet but i think mm. he learned something from that interaction yeah yeah definitely i think so i mean because later on they have you know there's there's it their interactions a little maybe a little different mm -hmm. after they've had that kind of you know getting stuff <laughs> off their chest or he's getting stuff off his chest anyway yeah. but we also find out that he was a grease monkey as well which mm. again that you know that little bit of information that that plays into the final kind of escape plan as well so just intelligent writing. I just really appreciate it this season. I'll agree. And and I love that scene where Picard shows up to ask for his help. And 
and uh, you know, basically uses his own words against him. And he's he's like, no, but we we need we need a, a, a we need a grease monkey, even if you're a dipshit from Chicago. <laughs> Just, and he's doing it with this with this smile on his face when he's saying those words. <laughs> Just. It's so perfect. I it's love great. that. I love it's it. really great. So throughout the episode, Beverly has been kind of uh, doing some research, figuring out that there's a pattern to these big um, kind of bioenergy waves. And in the corridor, there's Jack and Picard and Beverly, and they all kind of have a brain wave of, of how they can possibly get out of this uh, no-win scenario. Yeah, mm. i use the title of the episode there for mm. you. There you go. There you go. Uh, what, what do you think to this idea? And then, of course, the meeting with Riker and, and his his resistance to this idea at first. Yeah, well, again, Riker's still playing it safe. But honestly, they literally have nothing to lose. They are going mm. to die if they don't get out of there. End of story. So might as well die trying. Instead of just suffocating, right? Yeah. It, it kind of, it almost makes Riker's argument redundant. Mm. But somehow the scene works and you, you, you know why he's resisting because of his risk-averse nature now and, and everything that's gone on before. But um, I do like that Beverly then brings up Deanna would say it's mm -hmm. all about trust. And then that kind of, that lovely rekindling of... of what once was kind of just trickling back um, between the, you know, those three and, and Riker's kind of walking out, but then stops. Um, it's a, it's a really good moment where he kind of stops and turns around and then talks about, you know, the nasal cells and, and opening them up and stuff. And he's starting to, he's, he's starting to go, look, I, I've known this man for years and years and years. It's, it's time for me to start trusting him again. And, um, you know, we need to take risks in order to win. Mm. Uh, knowing scenarios, uh, you know, you have to take risks. And, and like you said, they've got they've got nothing to lose. They're going to die anyway. They might as well die trying. Yes. And Riker finally realizes that. So now, now that's fun because Seven is still on the lookout for this changeling that she did encounter mm. and didn't manage to subdue or kill. And... Uh, Goo boy escaped into a vent or whatever. <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting that the the changing is willing to vaporize his pot because I mean mm -hmm. he needs that pot, but I guess he thinks his mission's probably at an end now, and there's no point keeping the pot. So he just basically destroys it, so they can't use it as a DNA tracker. So that was that was an interesting that he literally went for the pot first rather than yes. shooting her. Yeah, well, he didn't want that sample because with that sample they can track him or her. Yeah, track it. Let's say track they. it. Yeah. Track them. They. Track yeah. them. Yeah. We'll use that because I don't yeah. know. And I thought, well, that uh that changeling's gonna show up again, try and stop this uh whole thing of getting out of there. Cause I don't I don't know what their end game was. Was if they couldn't bring Jack in, they would destroy him? I just I, I Yeah. <laughs> What are you doing here? What was the plan? <laughs> that, that's one thing I do not understand. So, but they do finally get Shaw to agree to uh, do this stuff. And it's fun watching him do what he loves. 
which is engineering. And that Seven is helping as best she can. And uh, yeah, should we talk about that scene? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, I like it. No, it's 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 great, and and I do think I do think there is a level of respect for each other. That they don't like each other, but I think they respect each other on on a, on some level. Um, and I think that's you can see that when they think about you know they both think the same thing about how they can lure the changeling mm-hmm. to them. You know, it, it's an unsaid plan because they're both kind of thinking it, and that I think that interaction there is a, is a good sign that they that there is a level of respect between them, even if they <laughs> piss each other off. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm waiting for him to get to the point. Well, 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 let me try that again in English. I'm waiting for him to get to the point where he'll stop dead naming seven mm. and use seven of nine. So, because that that's a he he does that purposely to disrespect her, and mm. he he that needs to stop. Yeah, that needs to stop. I think it will, but and again that 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 thing between them you know he'll he'll call her uh commander hansen not commander seven and then when the changeling is lured and, and comes in the guise of of um laforge yeah sydney laforge um and she and they the changeling calls seven commander hansen i'm getting so mixed up here commander yeah and that's the kind of giveaway but i like the way that it's it's that thing between um shore and seven that reveals the changeling for who they are mm-hmm. yeah because she says commander what Hansen. Yeah. she says commander hansen bang <laughs> well phasers don't make a bang sound but anyway. <laughs> 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 it's a fizzle there you go <laughs> and and this is where we see that this changeling doesn't turn back into goo after mm. they die so what the H is going on there? Yeah. Also, the weird thing where they had red eyes for a second. I just... Yep. Ah, this is a new breed that I don't understand. Let's see, a new breed or an engineered breed, maybe? Mm. Interesting. Hadn't thought about engineering because, you mm. know... Well, they're not part of the Federation, so that they don't care if they genetically modify themselves. Yeah. They'll break the rules. Um not that the rules apply to them ever, apparently. <laughs> I hate I hate groups like that. It's like, oh yes, yes, we know there are rules, but we're going to break those rules, and no one is going to be able to do anything about it because they're cowards, and so we're just going to keep breaking those rules and making everyone's lives miserable. And it's and we're going to blame it on you while we're <laughs> at it. This is your fault. Or make you blame somebody else. Oh, you know, you know this person over here that you've never met, that you've never interacted with. They're the reason why you're not happy. You know, mm. that's that's what fascists do. Yeah. <laughs> so. And that's, I mean, that's pr- pretty close to what the changelings could be. You know, mm-hmm. they're 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 angry about something. Very, 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 very angry. angry. And whatever it is, Jack is the key to it. I don't know why. I just. Ugh. Yeah. Questions, questions. So many, so many. So we get to this sequence where everybody has a job. So all the crews come together. So we've got 
Shaw and Seven in engineering. Uh, we've got Jack, who's basically having to n- help navigate through the asteroid field. And he's getting to experience what it's like to work with the crew. Because, you know, in 10 Forward, he was saying, I'm alone. I've always been alone. I've never, I've never needed that connection with a crew, with a family. Um, I've got my mother, but that's it. But uh, he gets his first experience of working with some people. And I, I love this bridge scene. I think it's, one, it's, it's brilliantly uh, directed by Jonathan Frakes really well edited and i like the way the chatter overlaps you know you've got all the chatter from the helm and everything's happening it just makes for a really intense really exciting scene yes i i love it especially when picard's like hey call out the call out the asteroids which kind of reminded me of that scene at the end of uh, season two of lower decks when uh, they uh <laughs> when they're trying to get to Oh, the shit was, I can't remember. See, again, too many things in my head. Too many things, too many things. Noise (laughs) all the time. Noise all the time. Finding the thing in my brain that I need. And uh, they have to take all the hull plating off. (laughs) Yeah, that's (laughs) right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get through that uh, field of uh, what was a planet, uh, an unstable planetoid. So it kind of reminded me of that a little bit (laughs) as it made me smile. I'm like, did we just get a Lower Decks reference in Star Trek Picard? Brilliant. (laughs) Because I love that. (laughs) And uh, and Jack's good. Jack's good. Yeah. He's really good at it. He knows all of this stuff because he and his mom have been on a ship, just two of them, for a long time. They've been all mm. over the place. And they've been in scrapes and situations. I mean, he talked about going to Talos freaking four. Why were they going to Talos four? <laughs> what? Are there people on the surface now? What's happening? <laughs> I want to know more about that. Hey, he calls it a right dump, doesn't he? That was a real dump, that place. <laughs> yes, well, nuclear war will do that to a planet. Mm-hmm. You yep. know, <laughs> yeah, centuries before it may be even remotely livable again, it happens. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I enjoy that scene so much. And uh, and Picard trusting Jack when he's he's like, he, he calls out the location of this big asteroid and he says, no, wait, wait four seconds. Four more mm. seconds, and they just slide right under it. Yeah, so, very good. Yeah, again, that trust that, that trust issue between the crew. It's a it's a big, it's a big overarching theme in this episode, definitely. Um, just rewinding a little bit there, I forgot to completely mention. I love the scene where Riker gives Picard the con. Yes, uh, and you get the TNG fanfare. I, I, I had I had goosebumps in mm-hmm. that little moment. It was it was rather quite moving, actually. I thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got, I got, a, I got a little teary. I won't, uh, mm. I, I won't uh, lie about that. But you know, anyone who knows me knows I cried everything. So, <laughs> and I'm not ashamed of that. I'm not. It's just who I am. I feel everything all the time. There is no off switch. So that is how <laughs> that's how we roll in this house. And my husband's always just like, "Here, do you want to get a tissue before we start?" <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> no, unless we're watching like some kind of comedy special. But there have been some comedy specials that I've seen that have, still, that have also made me cry, even while laughing. And uh, so usually if I, especially with Star Trek, it's like, I'm just going to get a tissue now. And mm. and sometimes I forget. And my husband always knows. He doesn't even look at me. He just reaches over, gets a tissue and gets it to me. He just He's not knows. even turning from the screen. He's kind of grabbing it. And then, yeah. 
There you go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just because uh, he just we've known each other for a very long time. <laughs> you know, we've been married for well, it'll be twenty six years this year that we've been married. Wow. So we've known each other for a very long time, and uh, he knows how I am, and he appreciates that. He has never shamed me for my emotions. <laughs> Yeah, my partner's the same. We've been together for 21, 22 years, I think now. So, mm-hmm. yeah, she knows I wear my heart on my sleeve when it comes to uh, television and Star Trek and anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's not even so much on my sleeve. It's like sitting on top of my chest and just <laughs> broadcasting to everyone, please hurt me. <laughs> That's how I feel sometimes. <laughs> please hurt me. Please. Yeah, I don't want people to hurt me. But I, yeah, basically the termination of all of my emotions, the the end, uh, the highest level achieved is always going to be crying. Scared, crying. Angry, crying. Hungry, crying. (laughs) Happy, crying. (laughs) All of those, any emotion, basically, if you take it to its extreme, that's me crying. So... They then rely on Beverly's theory that, you know, this, this wave will uh, transfer into the nacelles and recharge the warp core, essentially. They ride the wave and then the Shrike appears. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> this is my favourite, this, this I think is my favourite action scene ever in Star yeah. Trek Picard. <laughs> Yeah, I'll let you. I'll let you lead this one then. <laughs> Record has them tracked her, a big asteroid, and they're just heading towards them. And then he releases the tractor beam and throws an asteroid at them. <laughs> he throws a freaking asteroid, and they're just like he's throwing rocks. He's <laughs> <laughs> throwing a big rock at the bully. <laughs> I loved it so much. <laughs> it is essentially, yeah. I'm going to chuck a rock at you because I don't like you very much. <laughs> and they didn't. They didn't. They, they were just like, "Oh, we're so we're going to catch you." They weren't even thinking about the freaking portal weapon or anything like that. And so I was just like, "Oh, it's 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 it's, it's, it's a it's a superb Riker moment. It really mm. is." Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of it's kind of like uh, a retaliation to earlier on in the season when they threw that ship at them. He's mm-hmm. like, okay, well, I'm going to throw something at you now. This big ass rock. I'm going to I'm going to crap up your core so you can't you can't chase us for at least an hour. <laughs> um, but yeah, wonderful moment. It really it really was such a fun fun moment. So good, and I love it's it's one of those things where we're all like, yeah. And uh, and Beverly says, "Will, did you just throw a rock at them? Did you just roll, throw an asteroid at them?" And he just turns around. And he's like, "You're damn right, I did." <laughs> yeah, great line, great line. <laughs> and it felt uh, good. Yeah, yeah, it's it's excellent, and uh, yeah, riles up. Vadic. Vadic, thank you, Vadic. I keep wanting to say Vedic, but it's Vadic. Vadic. <laughs> yes. Vedic, Vadic, yes. Riles up Vadic, something rotten. So, yeah, they're out of action for at least an hour. So um, the guys can, before they get away, they can they can uh, witness the birth of lots and lots of space squid. Yeah, jellies. <laughs> <laughs> 
little uh yeah that's that's a jelly bean but i just the first word that came to my mind is jelly babies look they're babies made of jelly (laughs) (laughs) was beverly's line uh to seek new life a little bit on the nose or did you enjoy it no i enjoyed it yeah i did that's something that goes back to the original series it's always been a part of trek and i will never be unhappy when someone calls out that initial monologue you know never but I like Riker's response even better, which is, let's get the boldly hell out of here. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's like, we'll do some reverence and then some irreverence. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. just great. It's great. To seek new life and let's get the boldly out of here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, I like it. Um, and I just want to mention in that, in that part as well, um, Stephen Barton, the composer of this season, uh, one of a bit of music there as well. I know he's, he's using a lot of a lot of TNG and previous Star Trek stuff, but his original music as well, I think, is uh, really, really quite beautiful in this scene. Oh, I love it. I, I'm really enjoying the music. Um, I know that they that Terry Metalis and others uh, wanted to basically do a musical love letter to Jerry Goldsmith. Mm. And since, of course... Jerry Goldsmith created so many memorable uh, works of music for Star Trek that I understand why they are doing that. And it's, it's not, it's not a problem for me. I do find that using the first contact music during the credits doesn't feel right. It doesn't fit for Mm. me. It doesn't fit the tone of the series. But that's just me. I know other people have said the same thing. And I thought it was weird. My husband was convinced that it was just placeholder music. And I said, no, no, I don't think so. I don't think that's the case. Because if they have enough to put out the screener, the music is in place. Mm. So, Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's that's not going to be a placeholder. And so it just because I really loved Jeff Russo's theme for seasons one and two, even though season two is very different and more dramatic. I love that music so much. And I just felt like, no, why are you no, why are you taking that away from me? I mean, Mm. I, I understand it. It just it feels it feels weird to me during the credits. Yeah. Me and Kurt talked about that in episode one about how it opens, you know, with those very recognisable blue font, uh, mm. which is a kind of great callback. And, and But the, all the credits have come completely gone. Um, and my kind of, the way I thought about it was, essentially this, even though this is season three of Picard, it's essentially the final season of the next generation of TNG, yeah. essentially. Mm. Um, so, so removing the front credits and putting that theme actually on, uh, on the end credits, I think it plays over the end credits and just having the TNG fanfare uh, and that first contact music, I think, I think works in the fact that it's making a statement that this is the final season of TNG. This is our farewell. Not quite Picard season three. It's kind of a farewell to the whole crew in a way. Yeah. That's That's kind of how I thought about it. Yeah. And I get it. I do get it. I understand why it's that way. It just feels not right to off. me. Yeah. Mm. It just feels off. It it's jarring, I guess, especially with the tone of of the series and the tone of each episode, yeah. and then to have this inspirational, lofty, we are so great music. I'm like, but oh no, no, <laughs> not mm. after this episode that I just watched. Are you kidding yeah. me? <laughs> so no, I get that. That's just me. That's just me. That's just me. Yeah, and I am in no way 
complaining um, in in the regards of I think that it should be changed. No, this mm. this is just a personal opinion, and I understand what they're doing. I applaud them for it. It just doesn't work for me personally. Yeah, that's fair enough. Absolutely fair enough. Yeah. So, what did you think then? So, we get the final flashback when it's revealed that Jack was there, sat at the bar, mm-hmm. and asks that question of Picard. What were your thoughts on this scene then? Is it is it a little bit shoehorned to have in there? Or I suppose it does make sense because he talks, because Beverly in the previous episode talked about how he, you know, he didn't seek his father out, but here is different. Yeah. Well, that's, I'm sure that Jack never told Beverly about this, obviously. Mm. But it's interesting the way that this is interspersed with what's going on in... On the bridge, yeah. On the bridge, and you can see Picard's face change as he's remembering this. Mm. And as he realizes that that kid sitting at the bar was Jack. And, you know, Jack asks him the question, did you ever have a life outside of Starfleet? You know, family, home, etc. And Picard says, Starfleet is the only family I've ever needed. And I'm just like, oh, Ouch! Yeah, that hurts. Ah, <laughs> oh, dude! Ah! He could have said so many other things, but that would have started him down another rabbit hole of stories. And we both mm. know that. So, yeah, because let's think about uh, Picard's experience with family. He has lost everyone he has ever loved. Yeah. So All of them. All of them. All of them. Every single one. So I can understand why he wouldn't want to go into that, why he wouldn't want to talk about, you know, Renee and his nephew and, uh, 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 excuse me, Robert and, and Renee. Robert's the brother. And I understand why he wouldn't want to get into all of that. You're not going to get into mm. that with strangers. But what the worst possible time to say those words. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. And it, it, it having that revelation that, you know, that he gave that answer that Starfleet is the only family I need, it then makes those scenes where Jack and Picard were kind of talking to each other in 10 forward, you know, the holographic 10 forward, it makes those scenes very interesting because mm. Jack's gone into that, into that, into those conversations knowing that Picard didn't want a family outside of Starfleet. And it really gives a, an interesting context to their conversations in in that episode, in, in this episode. It does. And they're just that scene on the bridge where he's remembering this and they're just kind of staring at each other. And mm. I don't know if Jack is realizing that Picard now knows what he has, what he has inadvertently done. So, but again, it's just, it's one of those things where, and I hate this. It happens a lot in movies and television and especially in love stories, which this is a kind of love story, but it's not like a romantic love story. I'm not mm. plugging it as that. Um, misunderstandings, lack yeah. of clarification. Like if somebody says something like you overhear something, but you don't overhear the whole thing and the context for what you just heard, you didn't actually get. And so now you think terribly of this person, etc. ad nauseum. And it's like... Just freaking talk to each other. <laughs> Just do that. Don't sit there trying to guess what they meant. Just get context. Ask, ask for context. Ask questions. Talk. 
If we just as a human race would do that more, we wouldn't probably be in the situations that we're in these days. <laughs> so true. <laughs> um, and talking to each other is is precisely what Ricker, Ricker, Riker, and Diana have. <laughs> Ricker. I don't know. I kind of like Ricker. <laughs> Ricker. <laughs> it sounds like a troublemaker to me, Ricker. Um, yeah, that's precisely what Riker and Deanna haven't been doing because we get that lovely conversation between those two and and Riker's kind of opening up about, well, how crappy he's been at home and and how how distracted he's been. What did, what, what did you think to this scene between these two? It was beautiful. And throughout the episode, we see him trying to record a message to yeah. Deanna in the case that, you know, the ship is found, the wreckage is found. And uh, and he can't do it. He doesn't know what to say because he's not being honest about how he mm. feels. And so he's having this conversation and he's being honest and they're communicating. And it's like, dude, it's not like she doesn't know. She's a freaking empath. What is wrong with you? <laughs> you cannot hide anything from her. Come on. You're just lucky she's not full beta Zord. She would just read your mind 20 times by now. It's <laughs> <laughs> just... It's just, you know, he, he talks about, he, he owns what he's, he's done. He owns his attitude, his, his thoughts, his assumptions, all of these things. And says, you know, we saw, we saw a new life form today and reminded Mm. me, it reminded me like, why, why we do this? And she said something to the effect of, I haven't heard you say anything that beautiful in a long time. Mm. And, uh, you know, they have this beautiful conversation and he's he's like, I know, I know what I've been like and I'm going to fix it. I'm going to fix it. And I love that because he knows that he's the only one who can fix it. Yeah. So, and so does she. <laughs> but um, but it's, it's, it wasn't one of those things where like, will you help me? No, no, no. Dude, this is your journey. You got to this place. Now you got to get yourself out. Because if you mm. don't do the work, it's not going to, it's not going to work. Yeah. It's a, it's a really lovely scene. And, and, I like the fact that Riker has had to go through this traumatic situation to realise that it's all on him mm-hmm. and he needs to rectify the situation and and you know and start start trusting in trusting in the universe, trusting in himself and realizing that, you know, there's beauty and light out there, not just the darkness of the sinking coffin of his son anymore. And uh, I really, really like that kind of that kind of small arc that he has through this episode, I think is really, really quite touching. It is very touching. And I think it's, it's a good lesson to humanity in general without being very in your face about it. Mm, It's that control what you can control. And that's you. No one else can control you. Uh, No one else can control what you think about yourself. Only you can. So why not choose to be good to yourself why not choose to seek out things that make you happy uh it's it is it is a choice it is a conscious choice that everyone needs to make if you're unhappy what will make you happy figure that Mm. out don't look outside yourself what makes you happy what is it that you want Mm. And then go from there. Because no one else can fix you. Only you can fix you. I thought about the in, in the first episode when Laris and Picard were talking and Laris says something like, um, 
we I think we're born into the people we are or something to that effect you know people all our Star Trek characters are locked into who they are when they were born and you know Picard was always going to be a captain Riker was always going to be number one or, or a captain the Forge is always going to be an engineer and I like the fact that that they're starting to realise that the restlessness and unhappiness that they've had is because they're not being who they were supposed to be, which is up in the stars. Mm. You know, no matter how crappy the situation gets, which it got really crappy this episode, mm-hmm. they need it. They, they need it to feel alive and fulfilled and content with their lives. And um, it's, I, I like that kind of theme that goes across this whole season as well. I do too. And it makes me a little bit jealous because there are, are plenty of people in the world, in the universe, that know what their passion is, know what it is that they love to do and what they want to do with their life. <coughs> so sorry. <laughs> Just send the cough. Okay. Edit that out for sure. <laughs> um yeah, I there are certain people like this is this is what I want to do. This is what I meant to do. I have never had that. I have never mm. had that. I have no idea what it is I'm supposed to do with this life. <laughs> have no idea what my passion is. So I I admire uh, people who have figured that out very early mm. on, or even if they figured it out late. Anyone who's figured that out, well done you, well done you. Because there yeah. are people like me that are just like. <laughs> I don't even know what I'm good at. <laughs> I think we've all been there. I think we've all been a bit indecisive or just not, I don't know, just not following our instincts and not following our, or not being able to follow our passions, I think is mm. probably, it's it's not it's not having the ability to do it. Maybe money or, I don't know, opportunity doesn't come across. But uh, yeah, I, I'm, I get quite jealous of those people who have, just been in the right place at the right time and, and work in their dream job and stuff like that. So, yeah. Yeah, so to people who have found your purpose in life, well done you. Yeah, well done you. Very good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we, we, end, we end an episode with a log. With what? What? Picard's log. What? A log? I like the fact, yeah. It's, it's, it's like, yes, it's a serialised television show, but I like that kind of callback to... The captain's log, even though it's Admiral Picard's log, but it's a uh, it's a great way of kind of ending the episode and uh, a little kind of nostalgic heart back to episodic Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed, it, there are a lot of references to TNG episodes in this episode of Picard, mm. and and it's fine. It wasn't over the top. I don't feel so. no, it wasn't at all. Like it, they were talking about. Not understanding, you know, because Beverly clocked these waves as kind of like being being like contractions, like something yeah. about to give birth, and uh, and then they, you know, were talking about well, what could do that? And he was like, we've seen stuff that that can exist in the vacuum of space, and uh, I think Beverly says Farpoint. I can't remember if Beverly or Riker or Picard said Picard what am I says. Uh, I think. Yeah, says Farpoint. Picard says Farpoint. And, yeah, and that's all. <laughs> that's all they say because that's all. That's all they need to say. We know what yeah. they're talking about. Other space jelly creatures. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of space squid jelly creatures going around. Yeah. Well, you know, when you're in space, I guess you don't need to have any particular form. But if you're 
if you're going to be autonomous, as in you don't have a warp drive inside you, I guess uh, squid tentacles do a good job of pro- propelling. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> works for me. It's logical. Yeah, it's science fiction. You can do anything yeah. you want. Yeah, well, not anything. <laughs> well, not anything. Any, anything within the rules and confinements of that universe. Right, right, right. So we end the episode, as we alluded to earlier on, with Jack's vision, mm. if you can call it a vision. There's some voices in the background. I, I couldn't quite make out any discernible words. Did you pick out anything? Oh, yeah. Find oh. me. Find, Find me. Oh, okay. Find me. Find me. And it's very decidedly a female voice saying that. Mm. There's a female voice that says Jack at the end, which sounded like Beverly, but I don't know if it was Beverly. Mm. But that last kind of Jack sounded like Beverly. But uh, who knows? Yeah. So red viney looking things, and a mm. red door, clouds and lightning. It's all very esoteric. There's a lot of red talked about in this season. A lot of red. Season. Mm. Like the red lady. Red lady, yeah. Uh, why was the statue of Rachel Garrett gray? I mean, gray, red. Why was it red? That was weird. <laughs> Kurt asked the same question, and we couldn't really put an answer to it. We were just like, hey, it's red. She wore a red uniform. Yeah. That's about the only connection I can it's really uh, think of. Sculpted out of some kind of red rock? Uh, was it? I don't know. Is Or maybe, no, I'm not even going to go there. I just, it was just like... <laughs> Why is it red? I mean, red is red for a statue. That that seems like it was made in hell. I mean, it just <laughs> feels. Why why are you going to honor someone with a blood red statue of them? Just another, you know, TNG reference all on its own without yeah being any kind of yeah. So I don't I don't know what the whole red theme is. Mm. I'm sure we'll find out. I'm sure we will. I'm sure we will. Because it's not going to be like seasons one and two where you're like, why? You don't <laughs> explain this. Why? Why? <laughs> I'm sure it'll get explained this season. I'm quite I'm, I'm quite confident yeah. that it will be. Yeah. I, I agree. You can't leave threads hanging here. Okay? No. This is the final season. Don't screw it up. I don't. I really don't. I don't. Basically, my husband is still kind of wary. He's like, "Well, I just really hope they stick the landing." <laughs> like, yeah, I, that's fair. That's yeah. fair. It is fair, considering that one and two didn't really stick the landing at the end. Um, season two, it, its finale. For anyone who listened, I was probably the most angry I've ever been on a podcast because the the finale of season two pissed me off. Uh, they just they. Because a previous episode, Hide and Seek, was brilliant. Hide and Seek was a great episode. Uh, and then and then the finale happened. <laughs> and mm. it just all went, it just all caved in and collapsed on itself. But uh, Well, you're not alone. You're not alone, man. I'm a little more I'm a little more confident having seen these first six episodes that I'm I'm pretty sure they're gonna stick the, well, I'm hoping they're gonna stick the landing here. I really feel like they will. I really honestly feel like they will. Uh they have uh they have proven to me that they know what they're doing with this season, with this these characters. So yeah. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and not let past seasons inform my enjoyment. I'm just going to enjoy this for what it is. And what it is, is freaking amazing right now. So, Amen. Amen. Uh, any final thoughts then, Brandy, on this episode? Whew. 
I don't think I really have any final thoughts. It had so many great moments, and I think we talked about them all. We get good coverage on all the characters, you know? Nobody was left out, really. And uh, I I did clock the changeling coming into to Seven and and Shaw because I'm like, there is no way in hell that Sydney is leaving the bridge during this. Are you yeah. kidding? She's the freaking pilot. No. Yeah, she, she's yeah, she's not going to go anywhere near there. Yeah, she's not going to just go. Well, you guys have this covered. I'm just going to tootle on down to Nacelle yeah. Control. Bye. <laughs> I've put it on autopilot. I won't be a minute. Yeah. <laughs> I, know, I know we don't have autopilot right now because, you know, we have almost no power. And gosh, yeah. did, I, did I come down here through the Jeffrey tubes or did I just slither in my goo form? I don't know. Because <laughs> <laughs> I got here awfully fast considering that, you know, there's no power on the ship. And we're all going to suffocate if this doesn't work. But yeah, whatever. <laughs> no, I loved it. It was a great episode. Yeah. Really good episode. Like you said, everyone gets shine in the spotlight i i think it's i think it was a wise idea just to focus on the ship and not kind of go off to the uh to the raffy wolf storyline i think it was mm-hmm. a really good idea just to focus the whole hour on this on this situation it was a really really good move i think and it really made for a, an intense and emotionally satisfying episode of star trek picard yes i didn't even notice that they didn't cut back to raffy yeah. and wharf i didn't even notice because they had me so invested in what was going mm. on right then, right now. If they had cut away from that, it would have been jarring. It would have just been like, no. Yeah. So very good. Very good. Very smart. I appreciate yeah, you definitely. all. And we're, we're going to get plenty more Rafi and Worf. I love how he calls her Raffaella. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, it's a beautiful Wolf. name. I Raffaella. love Worf. It is a beautiful name. Oh, Michael Dorn, you are a gift. <laughs> he is. He is. <laughs> Anyway, Brandy, thank you very much for joining me today. It's been uh, it's been a real pleasure talking with you. Thank uh, you. Talking Trek with you, as always. Where can people find you if they want to find you uh, elsewhere? I know you've got a billion podcasts on the go. Oh, I don't have a billion. More like three. (laughs) (laughs) But they're all Star Trek podcasts. So, yeah, I have three podcasts. What the Future Holds. It's about Star Trek Discovery. uh, The Vedic Assembly about Deep Space Nine. And uh, Boldly Go, Strange New Worlds podcast. Uh, the, all of them are kind of on hiatus right now. Um, there was some personal stuff that was going on in my life, and it culminated in November and just kind of there was a lot of aftermath. And so uh, not a lot of new stuff going on right now. But uh, definitely when Discovery comes back, because Wilson Cruz let it slip on Tig Notaro's podcast, Don't Ask Tig, Ooh. that Discovery Season 5 would be in the spring. So I know that much. Thanks, Wilson. Ooh. So uh, <laughs> you can also find me on Twitter at Brandywine12. And usually on Saturdays, sometimes the time changes. Uh, I do the Unready Room with my good friend Dan Gunther, which is a live reaction show for the newest episodes of Star Trek. And we will be talking about Star Trek Picard episode four. I don't know when this is going out. So we usually do it on Saturdays. Watch my Twitter feed if you want to know the time. And because uh, we have a good time, Dan and I, and his uh, YouTube channel is Kurt Ratz Productions. If you want to look up any past episodes of that or any of the other fine videos that he does. And and if you didn't know, Kurt Ratz is Star Trek spelled backwards. Ah, ah. yeah. <laughs> 
Excellent, excellent. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Luke underscore Winch. Uh, you can find me on other podcasts on the We Made... Start again, Luke. You can find me on Observing the Pattern, which is the network's fringe podcast. I host and produce that. We are slowly getting towards the end of season four, and then we've only got season five left, and then we're done. So it's going to be quite a bit sweet saying goodbye to that podcast, but uh, I have been running it on my own, and it's a lot of work. Mm. So... It'll be nice to kind of wrap that up this year as well. And then you can also find me at lukewinch.com where I review science fiction and fantasy books and have author interviews. And you can also find me on my new booktube channel called Luke's Book Nook where I do the same thing but in video form. So that is it for today. Uh, We'll be back next week. Kurt will be back next week. I'll be taking a week off for episode five. Until then, we'll plot a new course and engage. Welcome to the third age of podcasting. The year is 2023. The name of the podcast is a dream given form. Join us for the 30th anniversary of Babylon 5 as we move to fortnightly episodes looking back at the gathering, the pilot episode of Babylon 5, season one and beyond with a plethora of guests to join us too. The gathering is only one week where we critique. There's some good stuff in there, but we can absolutely critique too, I think. I completely agree, definitely. I liken The Gathering and the first episode. I kind of compare them to the X-Files pilot and Deep Throat. I wouldn't say hate, but it's a very, very strong yeah. dislike of the cycle. Yeah, well, I feel like the cycle ruined uh, one of us childhood. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, essentially. I mean, and also, enough, as well, there were levels. There's Talia representing the psycho that, that destroyed her mother, and then there's Bester and Kelsey. Bester, Kelsey. Bester and Kelsey, you know, who are just psychopaths. And, you know, they are the personification of everything that she hates. And be sure to check out all our content for the last year of a dream given form, including thematic lookbacks at the show. And today we're going to be discussing the three prominent leaders of Babylon 5, Sinclair, Sheridan and Delenn. We thought we would combine our two greatest loves, because it's not just Babylon 5, it's Lord of the Rings 2, because there's a lot of Lord of the Rings influences that JMS drew upon developing Babylon 5, and even interviews with some of the stars of Babylon 5 itself. He said, I'll tell you what, he said, what would you like to do if you had a character? I said, first of all, I don't want to carry a ray gun. I don't want to carry a blaster or a transporter thing. Be me up, Scotty. I want to be different than everybody you have on here. And I want to carry a sword because that is what he lives by. That's part of his thing, his warrior mentality. I love hearing that people are still interested in, in Babylon 5. And, uh, you know, it's really an honor to, to continue the conversation around a show that meant so much to us and you know it's the little show that could so check out a dream given form a bottom five podcast on the we made this network the last best hope for peace